You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the game. day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, it's time to preview week number 19. Playoffs? We'll go position by position and look at each matchup through the lens of the tape and the stats, plus the three keys in 2023, 2022, NFL playoff picks, all of that and more. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is... The Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. Three weeks, three division rivals on the other sideline. Another week where I don't think an introduction into our opponent is necessary. I recall doing this for the 2020 season finale, and I like doing it again, you know, the first time we play each team each year. But honestly, the script hasn't really changed that much from Buffalo in that game. They were aggressive this offseason in pursuing and rounding out a championship level roster but the biggest piece of that Von Miller is out for the year but still you know Daquan Jones has been awesome for them James Cook an added element to their offense but really for the most part it's just been inherent growth from their previous off seasons of good drafting and you know acquiring veteran players that have been big boons for them offensively and defensively they enter the season as Super Bowl favorites, and I would imagine they're the postseason favorites as well heading into the playoffs here. I'm not sure if they actually are, but they remain my Super Bowl pick. They just have way too many ways to win. Even if they don't play well in you know significant areas of the game, they can strike in a second and flip the game just like we saw on Sunday against the Patriots. But they are also a good lesson in the journey of an NFL season. I've been trying to get this point across for my entire life, it feels like now. But they started off as favorites, entered the third season as favorites, but recalled those dips in the middle of the season. The losses to the Vikings and Jets, the Lions damn near knocking them off on Thanksgiving. Every team every year faces adversity, but the truth is nobody remembers it when you take care of business late. We know they'll be motivated. We know that place will be a madhouse. And just real quick on that point, you know the uh, the Rock Pile Report podcast, a couple of guys that I used to do their show all the time before I uh, worked for the team, and I remember last year, one of the, the co-hosts was upset about the loss to Jacksonville, saying like they might not even make the playoffs now. I was like, dude, calm down. You're going to win the division. You'll be just fine. You guys are going to win your division. They're getting to the playoffs, and you'll be a, a force to be reckoned with. And sure enough, they had the most epic playoff game really ever. And what did it do besides everyone kind of crowned Josh Allen as a new great quarterback in the NFL, and it put them in this position this year where, again, wire-to-wire favorites to win the whole damn thing. So perspective understanding the standard that you hold your own team to is usually higher than what you hold the rest of the league to because everybody every team every player has dips and valleys and adversity you have to overcome these buffalo bills who again are a stacked team have experienced exactly that as recently as six weeks ago and for us third playoff game since 20, 2001 the last two did not go well and uh 
you know, a home loss after the 2008 division title and a road loss after winning 10 games and earning the wild card spot back in 2016. Now, Sounds like it's going to be Skylar Thompson. We'll find out later this week who for sure is going to be under center. In 2008, we had our quarterback and MVP runner-up in Chad Pennington, but he played his worst game of the season against a loaded Ravens defense. Four turnovers in that one. But also remember, 2016, no Ryan Tannehill, and playing with Matt Moore in a game where you're one snap away from the third-string quarterback. And my question to Dolphins Nation right now but does anybody remember the quarterback who was going to replace him if he couldn't get back in the game and we saw him warming up on the sidelines? If you guessed TJ Yates, you would be correct. So for Dolphins fans, playoff appearances seem to come with injury-riddled quarterback rooms, and it's about the most frustrating and just torturous thing you can imagine uh, as a football fan. You only get so many of these games every year. You get 17 for sure. And for Dolphins fans, you get bonus games really every two presidential campaigns and the last two times you didn't have your starting quarterback. So it's, I can understand the frustration. Um, it is what it is, but it definitely sucks. But going back even further in the playoff annals of the Miami Dolphins, who recalls the 1990s? My first ever podcast appearance was with Sam Marcoux and the guys at Perfectville. And he would always tell me the Bills ruined the 90s for him. And that's the case for Dolphins of a certain age, right? All of, all the Dolphins in that kind of you know, I guess coming up on I'm a man, I'm 40. Admittedly, I don't remember those early 90 seasons very well because I am not yet a man. I am not yet 40. I'm 35. My first real memory was the San Diego loss in 1994. I was, let's see how old would I have been there? Uh, six years old. My most vivid one was the 99 playoffs and the win in Seattle, followed by the game we don't speak of that came after that. But against the Bills, man, this is a, I've always had the reason that Dan Marino didn't get a Super Bowl ring It's because of these freaking Bills. 1990 divisional round, 44-34 loss in Buffalo. 1992 AFC championship here in Miami, 29-10 loss to the Bills. That would have been such a killer if I remembered it. I was only, you know, four years old. 37-22 loss in Buffalo in the wild card round in 1995. And then 1998, a 24-17 win over Buffalo in the wild card round before getting stomped by Denver 38-3 in the divisional round. So again, Kelly Marino was the matchup and it still pains me. We did not get at least one of those wins because the biggest obstacle between Marino and his ring was these freaking Buffalo bills. And those were the only ones, man, the bills, you know, weren't a regular playoff team during the dolphins peak in the seventies and eighties. So it's three to one in favor of Buffalo in the all time playoff series. Oh, and two in games uh, up in that little town in Western New York. Enough history lesson. Let's go ahead and get into it. Dolphins offense versus Bills defense and the quarterback in Miami offense versus the defense and safety position of the Buffalo Bills. And this, we've been over this. This is one of the most unique defenses in the NFL in terms of their usage. And it's really built around one player that allows them to do this. And that's Teron Johnson. It's one of their best players in the, on the field and calling him a nickel or slot cornerback would, you know, it would be entirely disingenuous to do that. And we'll cover his game more in the cornerback section, but his name is required here because of this. They run nickel 95% of the time, less than 2%. They run 3-4, 4-3, or dime packages. It's the same defense every time. And so that allows you to dictate matchups based upon their personnel. And it's why I was confident if, you know, if we had all of our parts back, because I think the running game you go 21 personnel against a nickel defense that refuses to get out of nickel defense, you can still run the ball in that look, even without, you know, Raheem Mostert, even without, even without Tua probably. Um, but you're going to have to do it 
well every single play to have a chance in this game. They run high safeties uh, like this, cover zero, 3%. One high safety, 46%. Two high, 51% of the time. It's a good mix of man and zone. It is primarily a zone-based defense, but they, they have upped their man coverage after the loss of Von Miller. Um, they've also been kind of on and off with rookie cornerback Kyer Elam. And I think, you know, ideally when they have white and him go full speed together, they become a, a better man coverage team. But I don't know if you can expect that in a game like this. But as always, you do want to be prepared for both because, you know, White, Dane Jackson, Teron Johnson, Kyer Elam, they've all got man and zone skills. It's part of that very versatile defense they can run as far as what they do post-snap. Pre-snap, no versatility. Nickel defense every time. But post-snap, there's a lot of versatility there. They do blitz 19.4% uh, of the time, which is the 10th lowest rate in the league, but their pressure rate is 22.4%, which is 13th best in the league. And again, those numbers have fluctuated with the loss of Von Miller back in November, but they're blitzing more and haven't generated as much pressure from their four-man fronts without Von, but it's still a key piece of their defense with Rousseau, Epinesa, and Oliver all being so dang good. They need to pressure with four to really maximize their system. Four-man pressure, complex zones, and guys that have played together for a long time with really smooth pattern matching and communicating. They blitzed us uh, just eight times combined in the two games. And that's obviously with a different quarterback back there. But if that's the plan, again, Skylar Thompson is going to have to be super sharp finding openings and attacking the opportunities against man coverage when they are, in fact, there. We saw them dial up man a couple times, and Tyreek got him on the deep ball, and, and Waddle ran across their zone one time. So, you know, you got to find your spots. They are uber athletic at the linebacker position. They know what they have to contend with in Waddle and Hill. That paired with their almost never changes defense means, again, Miami has to successfully run the football to win this game. We saw them do it last time. Even more important now uh, as you go into this game with a rookie quarterback in the lineup. Let's go ahead and cover this quarterback and safety matchup. It's different without Micah Hyde, although he did return to practice with his 21-day window opening up. No word on if he plays this week. Just guessing here, I would imagine Buffalo kind of holds off until next week with him. Uh, but Jordan Poyer is still there doing great things weekly. Uh, he makes plays, man. Nick Skyler has to be sharp, has to identify where number 21 is lined up, not lock onto his target and hold him on each each and every single play. He's got four more picks this year, another handful of pass breakups. He gets four or five picks every single season. Now he's playing in that deep center field more often this year without Hyde. And I think that limits the true strength of their defense with them both in there. And they're virtually interchangeable because in Hyde's place was DeMar Hamlin, who was discharged from the hospital on Wednesday. So more great news with him. But replacing him last Sunday, I mean, they're on to their fourth safety there. It's Dean Marlowe. Uh, you know, Micah Hyde and, and Hamlin w would uh, come in on the pass rush quite often. But Marlowe has just one pass rush rep to Poyer 17 this year. That's just 69 snaps. Nice for Marlowe. But um, yeah, it kind of takes away from their interchangeability there a little bit. Where Miami really needs to get after this team is wide receiver and tight end versus cornerback. The Bills are good in the secondary, but, you know, Waddle and Tyreek are both top five receivers, and they're going to have to go out and play like it and help their quarterback out. We mentioned Teron Johnson in the open. Uh, you know, there's only so much you can do to get open, and if the ball's not there, it's not there. And we saw Waddle open all game long against the Jets. But one of the true Jenga pieces in the NFL is Teron Johnson. He's just so important. I thought we saw him match up with Tyreek and Jalen a lot, but back in, you know, Week three, we only saw two targets against the two of them and two more targets against the two of them in week 15. So uh, both Tyreek and Jalen align in the slot less than 25% of the time. So that's kind of your answer right there, that you can dictate the matchup and not put you know, uh, your best players on their best corner. But then again, Trey White's back too. So it, it's all kind of you know 
compounding variables there. But Johnson really helps them kind of key their disguises because he switches his roles at the line. He'll rush. He'll insert against the run. He'll blow up the screen. He's a great player. And the secondary that's been banged up all year, he's leading them in coverage snaps by a mile. He's got 615 and has allowed just 623 yards with 35 run stops. Again, he is a very, very good player. Dane Jackson has been the third starter when he's been healthy. Uh, 553 yards on him on 552 coverage snaps. That's like ideal. Uh, Two picks, nine PBUs. Then, of course, Trey White, who's one of the most competitive players you'll find. He wants to play physical. He wants to challenge you, and he's so dang adept at falling off his man and winding up in a place he's not supposed to be. So you have to keep an eye out for him, number 27. I'm really curious to see how they align pre-snap because this Dolphins offense just gives you so many different issues that most teams can't. But on the season, they play press just 39% of the time and they're off 61% of the time. The biggest thing to me is how do they defend Tyreek Hill? They gave him all the attention back in week three and we saw Waddle rise to the occasion in that one. Then we saw both guys make a bunch of plays back in the week 15 game. But I think that had more to do with the Dolphins running game getting going and then taking advantage of their chances when they got them in the passing game. And like we say every single week, starts up front, right? Offensive line versus defensive line. Greg Rousseau has taken a giant step forward. And with Miller, man, like they were tough to stop and they still are but it's obviously impossible to replace a talent like Von Miller but don't get it twisted you still need your best you know effort against these guys because listen to these numbers for pressures and run stops Rousseau 42 and 21 Epinesa 26 and 12 Lawson 20 and 13 Basham 18 and 8 so really it's Rousseau who gets the most production but you know these are big heavy-handed long powerful players that can play through you and Miami whooped their butt in the running game last time around they're going to have to do it again in this game to have a you know fighter's chance um, but that's how they play their style. They want to play through you on the way to the quarterback and helps them play the run as well. But, you know, if they're going to play a light fronts with that nickel package, like, shoot, man, do you, do you just stay in 22 personnel the entire damn game and run the football on every single snap? Like, I don't know. Uh, well, I'm curious to see what the plan looks like because you're not going to match points with this team, as you heard Mike McDowell talk about in the Wednesday press conference. On the interior, very good as well, even though Miami kicked the crap out of Ed Oliver last time around. Uh, he does lead that group with 31 pressures and 19 run stops. Daquan Jones is right behind him with 30 pressures, but more run stops with 20. He's been very, very good for them. We know about Jordan Phillips. He didn't practice on Wednesday, but 19 pressures and 13 run stops. And then Tim Settle, 11 and 12 for him. Those four names and the four off the edge, even without Miller, it's as good as it gets, man. Inside, you know, our power and ability to stay on blocks will be tested. Oliver is an exe- just an absolute specimen. And, you know, typically he's one-on-one. He's a tough matchup. But last time, Connor Williams and Rob Hunt took him to task. His length and get-off and counter moves, he challenges you in every single way. And I thought, you know, Oliver didn't play in the Week 3 game, and I wrote in the podcast back then, this is his biggest test of the year. Well, he matched that with flying colors, man. So got to do that again. We know Phillips. Uh, he plays with his hair on fire and is just always fired up to play against us, the team that drafted him. He does like to anticipate the snap count, so hard count's always an option against him. But that's sometimes really tough in that environment. He will come clean seemingly a couple times a game, so you have to mitigate his uh, interior pressure. And then Settle's a great space eater. Daquan Jones, one of the most underrated players in the league. To me, he's their Zach Sealer, consistent, tough to move, makes a splash player too every single game. And then off the edge, they certainly have that type, right? Heavy-handed, long pass rushers who can collapse the pocket. Uh, our quarterback, Skyler, going to have to be able to move within the pocket because they tend to not really offer up escape hatches with how infrequently they blitz and how athletic the linebackers are and their good safeties as well. So subtly being mobile in the pocket but still win from the pocket are going to be big keys for Sky Thompson in this game. 
running backs and linebackers, uh, Matt Milano, legit defensive player of the year candidate, the way he's played. He just kind of keys everything and uh, is your disguise buster, as it were. He's a critical piece of that defense, especially against an offense that wants to create hesitation through you know multiple conflict defenders. Tremaine Edmonds, lengthy, fast, explosive, like a linebacker that gave us issues earlier in the season. Second most rushing yards the Bills allowed this year, though, was that Week 15 game. Miami needs more of that. The backs, I think, need a big game, both in the passing game and as ball carriers. We mentioned the minimal blitzes. You know, see that and get out into the pattern. Or if they come, help uh, you know Skyler get that extra half second to find holes left in the coverage from the blitz. Big, big game, and I can't wait to see either side's plan here uh, offensively and defensively. And speaking of that, let's go ahead and take our first break and come back on the other side and do Dolphins defense versus Bills offense. That's next, Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Back here on a Thursday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Man, it sucks without Monday night and Thursday night football. And we're getting close to the end here, man, to the worst part of the calendar. Uh, Go Mariners, though, coming up. Go Heat down the stretch run. That was a fun game against OKC the other night. Uh, Dolphins defense, Bills offense. Let's go ahead and start with their personnel, which has changed a lot from the last couple of years. Uh, They run 11 personnel, the bread and butter of the NFL, one back, one tight end, three receivers, 69% of the time. Nice. 4% out of 12 personnel, 14% out of 21 personnel, and then they run two backs, two tights. That's 22 personnel. 3% of the time, and they have some work out of 10, 13, 20, 01. Do you guys know what that means? Uh, 10 personnel, one back, no tight ends, four receivers. It's always running back, tight end, and then the leftover number is your eligible receivers. Just interesting adaptation going from Brian Dayball to Ken Dorsey, and he's up for some potential interviews uh, for head coaching jobs as well this year. Um, but just the complete absence of 10 personnel this year. That's a grouping that almost nobody eclipses 1% in annually. But the last couple of years, it was always that way for all but two teams, Cliff Kingsbury's Cardinals and DeMar Filoberos. Uh, but they're incorporating a fullback and going into the complete opposite direction of that with Reggie Gilliam. Dawson Knox, also a big part of that to counter how teams have played the Bills is a big part of that as well. And it helps them get digs into one-on-one situations and create more space for him. Or you double him and then you get Mitch, Mitch matches on explosive backs and Dawson Knox. So it's kind of a pick-your-poison offense. They're loaded. Uh, Josh Allen has the longest time to throw in the NFL among quarterbacks that played the majority of the year. 2.88 seconds and, gosh, 57 scrambles this year. Uh, and he's been their best runner. He's The entire offense goes to this guy. And it's, I mean... Can you make him have a bad game? It's tough to do. 
even when he has bad games, he still finds a way to put points on the board because he's so explosive. His blitz splits, that's a fun phrasing to say, blitz splits are fascinating to me this year. When he's blitzed, which is 28.5% of his dropbacks this year, he's only 56% for 6.1 yards, 9 touchdowns, and 4 picks. When he's not blitzed, which is 71.5% of his DBs, 66.3% completion, so a, a 10% increase. Um, I put the yardage total, not the YPA in here. 3,277 yards. Pretty. Let's, let's go ahead and pause it and get that number for you real quick. And we're back. Uh, it's 8.2 yards per attempt, so a 2.1 average yards per attempt increase when he's not blitzed, 26 touchdowns and 10 picks. So it's like he turns it over a lot when you don't blitz him because a lot of those picks come from him kind of like standing back there and scanning and surveying and then just missing somebody. And again, talking about holding your own team to the same standards as everybody else. Like this quarterback misses a lot of throws. All quarterbacks miss throws, but he misses plenty. And again, where he makes it up is the fact that he's so special uh, otherwise, all those physical traits. But he's, you know, he's not ineffective against pressure whatsoever. In fact, the only quarterback that was a higher rated passer against pressure than Tua this year was Josh Allen. Uh, you can win on first and second down. He can miss both those throws even. But then on third down, he'll absorb, you know, a squared up pass rush shot from a rusher, stay on his feet, break the pocket, spin, hurdle, have a guy hanging off his shoulder pads and then rip one 40 yards down the field to Stephon Diggs right on the face mask as he's falling to the turf. It's just insane what he's capable of doing. He's the best playmaker the sport has. And that's the book from his time, you know, in Wyoming, right? He was always a fun, fun watch, just carrying that offense despite some drops and breakdowns and no run game. He just wills his way to big plays and gets points on the board. And now as a pro, same situation. He's dialed it in. And this year he's taken his game to another level where teams are, you know, playing kind of that Josh Boyer week three game plan, like make him be patient, make him play the position because again, he puts the ball in harm's way, but you have to capitalize on those. So I don't know, man, it's, it's tricky. I, I don't know how you want to play this dude. Uh, to me, you have to find a way to create big plays and just gamble with it because of your situation on offense uh, the quarterback situation, you have to find a way to turn this game on its head multiple times. And so maybe that's blitzing. Maybe, I, I don't know. It's going to be a tough, tough, uh, tall order. And I'm glad it's not my job to come up with that decision. Uh, his deep throws this year, 14.6% of his throws are 20 plus yards downfield, averaging 14.2 yards per attempt with 11 touchdowns and five picks. So not his usual downfield uh, prowess. My key here is this. He's tied for the second most interceptions in the NFL and he has more turnover-worthy plays, which is a PFF stat, than any other quarterback, which means teams aren't capitalizing on his takeaway opportunities. And again, it's most of the time doesn't matter because he can give you one quarter of football and just put you away. But it seems like every time we play this damn dude, we have opportunities that we just don't take advantage of. Going back to 2020, like how many missed picks in that game? I talked about it yesterday. Xavier Howard and Kyle Van Noy both had picks in their hands that could have changed that game entirely and just didn't make the catch. So you must intercept the ball when you get the chance to do so. Good offenses plus more opportunities equals disaster. Simple formula we discussed here a few times. Don't give the New York Yankees four outs on offense, or I should say Houston Astros, right? Uh, Javon Holland, as often as he is, uh, is the catalyst to me here. Does a great job of limiting opposing teams' deep passing. He inserts off the edge as a rusher against the run. We saw him spy up on Allen for a huge open field tackle short of the sticks on that third down play back in Buffalo a couple weeks ago. Uh, the ability of the Bills to get to, you know, anything from any personnel, deep shots from 22, run game from 10, and everything in between. It's the modern style offense that Javon Holland's built to defend. 
So in the current NFL, blitzing the top line quarterbacks usually equals instant death, right? They'll find it and they'll carve you up before you can even, you know, get pressure by finding the vacancy in coverage. And we saw that back in week three, and we talked about the numbers in the podcast yesterday. Uh, but since week nine, here's some fun, interesting numbers for you. 40 of 68 versus the blitz. It's 58%, 5.4 yards per pass and three touchdowns. And that includes a game against Miami where he was better against the blitz than not. So it's sort of like, again, I, I don't know what you do here. <laughs> I really don't. Uh, I, I laugh while saying this because it's like you put the pros and cons up there and there are plenty of both. I just think it's a tough, tough decision. And again, why you pay these coaches the big bucks to come up with a plan against a guy like this. If they can you know, find a hero plan that beats this Buffalo Bills team, then you know, build damn statues of these guys because it's a tall order this week. Mentioned Javon Hall in the passing game plenty. Let's go ahead and move on to the next portion of the Buffalo offense. That is the receivers and tight ends. First, the Miami corners. And this is probably the toughest matchup against this Bills offense. They're top heavy, but they're also deep. They're diverse, and they match and play style of their quarterback as well as anybody in the NFL, uh, maybe besides Miami. It's super intriguing because Allen holds the ball in big play hunts more than any other quarterback, but Miami has been getting home with pressure among the best teams in the NFL, just haven't finished those pressures, and this guy's the toughest one to finish off in the entire league. So does Allen take up the quick hitters and just eat up short completions with the occasional deep shot built in, or does he play that true, you know, his true style and just bank on making rushers miss like he you know wants to do. I don't know. Stefan Diggs is one of the best receivers in the NFL. There aren't many cornerbacks who can match up better one-on-one and remove him from the game than Xavier Howard. And he did that pretty well back in week three, you know, Diggs had seven for 74, which you say, that's a pretty good game, Travis. Well, yeah, just 10.6 yards per catch, 11 targets. That's, that's a good number yards per target wise, less than seven per target against a guy who averages around 10 this season. And there was, you know, that one long play to open the game, 28 yards. But after that, just six for 46. It's really dang good, especially if he gets that pick before the end of the first half and takes it back. Now, he did get routes on six players, but X only saw, uh, only X saw more than one target, I should say. They were three for five for 47 yards going elsewhere. That feels like the play here. And the script was pretty similar in week 15. Like, in a game like this, you need your best to beat their best. But again, matchups like this are never going to be 100% in the game. But if you want to have a chance, you got you have to have Tyreek, you know, beating Trey White. You have to have X beating Stephon Diggs. You have to have Christian Wilkins uh, beating Mitch Morse. These have to be consistent things you win across the board to mitigate for what you, you're losing from injuries. Buffalo, again, they're deep, though. So you need your answer for Gabe Davis, who is one of the best downfield threats, you know, in a, in a sizable body. Tremendous feel, an excellent route runner in terms of setting guys up on double moves, precise movements to get action on that first move and then spring into the second level. And when Allen breaks the pocket, he loves to find these two dudes getting vertical down the field. John Brown's back in the fold, catching long touchdowns. So, you know, for Gabe Davis, I think Cater Kohu is the best one on him because he's the most physical corner we have right now. And those seem to be like the right man matchups. But again, it varies. Plenty of zone and match, so we'll see. But uh, plastering, again, when, when Allen scrambles, huge key this week. Isaiah McKenzie does all kinds of creative stuff with jet sweeps and screens and catches the football, you know, running downhill on mesh. He's kind of a glue piece and that nobody does what he can do. Then you got Dawson Knox, and to me it's an Eric Rowe game to come dust off that tight end eraser label. He didn't play last time around, and it was a big issue for us. You know, he's done so much both in coverage and against the uh, run from that position. And, and Knox is a tough task, man. It's a tall order, but you're going to have to – you know, you'll give up plays to these guys, but I cannot emphasize enough the importance of capitalizing on the plays that are there. And the Bills' losses this season, that's been the difference for them. They, they turn the ball over as teams capitalize on those opportunities. Offensive line, defensive line, the Dolphins' pass rush continues to heat up opposing quarterbacks uh, really quickly. But again, those quarterbacks are mitigating that by getting the ball out to the open guy early, and they've been open early too often. 
But the pass rush has been relentless all year, man. Phillips has been tremendous. Wilkins has been as good as anybody in football at his position. You know, Melvin Ingram has been efficient. Bradley Chubb, you know, got back onto the field, a limited role last week, and he's been effective. And then Andrew Van Ginkle, just solid his entire career. It's hard to get pressure rush production, guys, for the ball's out in less than two and a half seconds. It's very, very difficult. They did have Allen under constant duress in that week three game and just forced the ball out all game long. And at the end of it, it was too much for the Bills to muster up more than 17 points offensively. In week 15, he made his splash plays early. The one at the end of the half that was like, Oh, they're going to get a field goal. Oh, no, now they're not going to get anything. Oh, wait, it's a touchdown. There you go. And then the fourth quarter, he did what he does usually and put on the Josh Allen cape. But Miami did well to stifle him in the Bills' offense for long periods in both games. Can you extend that for four quarters? You have to this week. comes down to that. Uh, their offensive line, pressures allowed and pass-blocking snaps. Deion Dawkins, left tackle, 30 at 626. Roger Saffold, 36 pressures allowed at 698 snaps played. That is a big number for a guard. So go get him. Mitch Morse, 17 on 493. Uh, Ryan Bates, excuse me, 28 pressure, 615 snaps. It's a pretty big number there for a guard, too. And then Spencer Brown, 42 at 551. So the offensive line's vulnerable, and we saw the Dolphins, again, put pressure on Allen that Week 15 game. You ha- you have to win every other matchup in this game. It's how it's going to go. Like, it's how you're going to beat a team that I think is like 13 and a half, you know, uh, advantage right now. Dawkins, one of the best left tackles in the NFL. He missed one game and some change, and it was a noticeable difference when they didn't have him out there. Any wins you get on him are a bonus. That's why you pay Bradley Chubb the big bucks. Like, you know, go go beat that dude. On the other side, Phillips, I just think, is one of the best players in the league. Keeps getting better every single week. Um, made some plays back in week three and had that massive force fumble back in week 15. And then Wilkins just wins regardless of who's across from him. So hopefully, you know, you can pair pass rush wins on the same snap frequently, you know, with all the guys. Running backs and linebackers, finally, another position where the Bills are just extremely multiple. James Cook, explosive as all get out. Devin Singletary, love his game. They're both right around three yards average after initial contact. 33 missed tackles forced for Singletary, 19 for Cook. They're both dynamic passing game options and good outlets when Allen gets that multiple rusher pressure. When they play patient, get the ball to the backs in the passing game and play a uh, run the ball effectively, they are impossible to stop. So you have to mitigate that somehow. I've been so impressed with how Jerome Baker plays in in situations like these because he has multiple roles. You have to have him do that again. You have to have Duke Riley have a big game because speed's key against this offense. Ken Dorsey's offense is so creative, has false keys, and can bump the ball to any of the eligible. So you need all the linebackers here to be really pumping on all cylinders. Let's go ahead and take our last break and come back on the other side and do special teams and the three keys and what's at stake, even though you already know. We'll also pick the playoff bracket. That's next, Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
coming to a conclusion on potentially the final preview podcast of the season. That was the case last week. We're glad that it is not. We have at least one more here to get to. Special teams, DVOA ranks this year. Miami's 28th, Buffalo's first. Whoops, yikes, that could be rough. Tyler Bass is 27 for 31 this year. He's missed two of his 50 PATs. I was updating the numbers from the last podcast, and like he's only kicked like five more field goals since that game, but has booted like 14 PATs in the in the interim, uh, Sam Martin averages 42.1 gross with an inside the 20-yard line rate of 35% and a touchback rate of 11%. Jason Sanders coming off a playoff clinching field goal. He is 26 for 32 this year. And Thomas Morstead's gross is 40.5 with an inside the 20-yard line rate of 46% and a touchback rate of just 3.3%. What's at stake, you might ask? That seems pointless this week, doesn't it? We all know exactly what's at stake the entire damn season, man. Uh, three keys in the game. Capitalize on takeaway opportunities. The Bills have put the ball on the turf six times in the two games. We recovered one of those fumbles. If they fumble the ball three times and we recover it three times, maybe you have a fighter's chance. Uh, number two, ride the running backs. Passing game, running game. Jeff Wilson, Savon Ahmed, if Raheem can go, Raheem, just it's time for those guys to you know carry the load. And There was a game, Chiefs and Titans this year. Malik Willis started the game and they couldn't do anything through the air and they damn near beat the Chiefs. That's to me, that's the only way you're gonna have a chance in this game is to muddy it up like that. And so the running game is gonna be paramount if that's the case. Number three, keep Allen in the pocket. If he gets outside the pocket and runs the ball, he can go for 40 yards at a clip. He runs guys over. Just don't let him do that because he'll kill you that way. As for picks, 12 and 4 last week means I got to the goal. I think that goal changed like three times though. So I don't know if it's actually an achievement. 189. 80 and 2, 271 games in the books. Buffalo and Cincinnati, obviously number 272. They did not get played. Good for a 703 win percentage next year. We'll go to 72% will be the goal next year. That would have been nice on the 50th anniversary, but I digress. So here's what we'll do for the playoffs. I'm going to give you my entire bracket, but we'll also still pick the games each week after the fact. And I'm going to give you almost all chalk here. I know upsets happen every single year, but man, I'm having a hard time finding them this time around especially with the quarterbacks that are out in the wild card round Uh, it's weird because in the middle of the year it felt like it was going to be as wide open as it ever was I remember the the around the NFL podcast kept doing like is anybody good in the NFL who's good it's like yeah now you kind of have it figured out because pretty consensus KC Buffalo and Cincinnati are the teams to beat in the AFC Philly and Frisco in the NFC maybe Dallas but you know after losing to Washington that certainly loses some of its shine there wild card round picks I have one upset in here. I did have Baltimore over the Bengals, but I changed it because Lamar Jackson is probably not going to play. What the hell's going on there, by the way? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, wild card round. Niners over Seahawks. Seems pretty, pretty expected. Jacksonville over the Chargers. This one was tough because I don't really think either team is that great. Uh, but someone's got to win. And I like... The home team against a quarterback that I think doesn't necessarily raise his game in these types of situations. Buffalo over Miami. Yeah. Minnesota over the Giants. What a stinker of a game that feels like. Bengals over Ravens and Cowboys over Bucks. Man, this is a bad slate. <laughs> if, if we had Tua and Lamar, it'd be good, but we don't, so it's not. Uh, and then from there, divisional round. Niners over the Vikings. The Eagles over the Cowboys. Bills over the Bengals. And the Chiefs over the Jags, chalk, man. Buffalo over Casey in the championship round. Philly over San Francisco. 
And this was my Super Bowl pick back in August, so zero cents in changing it now. Buffalo over the Eagles. I hope not, man. I hope they keep on losing Super Bowls or not getting to the Super Bowl. That's that's what I would like to see, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. That's your Thursday preview podcast. Tomorrow, Joe Marino, Locked on Bills, a, a legend around these parts, one of the best Bills uh, coverage guys there is. I just love everything that he does with football, and we'll have him back on for the draft season as well. But he's going to break down Dolphins and Bills for us tomorrow. In the meantime, it's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank with Seth and Juice. Our Twitter Spaces show went out last night. You can go find that on my timeline. Uh, the recorded version is available for y'all. Also, check out the team YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today. Uh, some drive time and fish tank content is in there as well. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline and Cameron. Daddy's coming over.